Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead. Take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. Um, have you been working on any jingles for us this week, Robin? Oh, the fest. It's going to be fun. It's going to be good and you're going to love it. <laughs> <laughs> Hello guys, welcome to another episode of Inside Bristol Live, a weekly podcast that takes you behind the headlines and inside your local newsroom. I'm your host, Alex Ballinger. This week's show is going to be fantastic, but before we get started, let's do the admin stuff. So don't forget to follow us on Twitter at IBL Podcast. You can join in the conversation. We also post links to stories and things like that. And we're also on Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts from. Just search Inside Bristol Live. Sat alongside me today is our producer, Matt, who is with us again for the show. Can't keep saying again, mate. <laughs> yes, I can. You can't. We and can't. We have to stop this. <laughs> I'm going to turn my mic off next week. No, I'm not. I'm going to stay. I, I enjoy it. To, I enjoy sit, it. I, sit outside the room so I stop referring <laughs> yeah. to you as again. I'll do your bit. Hi, Alex. <laughs> <laughs> right, enough of that foolishness. Anyway. First on the show this week, we've got reporter Joe Smith, who had a bit of a weird weekend. There was sort of a series of stories that were really bizarre, things that I've never heard before. I love I love it it's when so Joe's good. on to talk about the weirdness of the stuff he covers. Joe's like our weirdness correspondent. He's kind of like the weirdness corner, right? Yeah. I don't know what it is, but he just sort of is a bit of a magnet for really odd stories. Uh, well, I enjoy it. So we talk a little bit about these weird stories that he has stumbled across, but we also talk a little bit about the logistics of working a weekend, which I would say are the least popular shift in the newsroom. Most challenging. Most challenging, least popular. Mm. It just sucks. No one likes working a weekend. <laughs> Not <laughs> selling it. None, none of my friends work weekends and I'm just here on my own. So we'll talk to Joe about some of the weird stories that he's been looking at. And then next up on the show, we will have Bronwyn Weatherby. Now, just a little heads up next week. Hate to break this to you all, but I'm not going to be here. I'm on holiday for Again. a few days. Again. Again, I'm off. So we've got another guest host who is going to be Bron. So get used to her voice because it will be back next week. She has a great voice. A lot more. She's got a great voice. Great Fantastic, voice. Lovely accent. So she will be on a lot more next week. But this week, Bron is talking about an opinion piece that she wrote on the reasons why she is worried about cycling in Bristol. There's quite an interesting reaction to Bron's piece, which really split opinion. And it also resulted in someone tweeting her, referring to her as a female journalist. Which and you got really some. Bizarre. I got some abuse as well. Yeah. Everyone gets abused. Just for good measure. Everyone got abused for some reason about this. Thanks, Bron, for writing this piece. They got me abused somehow. <laughs> And then finally, on this week's show, we talked to What's On reporter Robin Murray. Robin is going to be talking about another massive Bristol event. I mean, a summer, every weekend, something huge going on. This week is Bristol Harbour Fest, so we look forward to that. Right, let's just jump into our first conversation with Joe Smith, who is talking about dinosaurs and penis-shaped coffins. I'll do today's icebreaker question then. <laughs> so, Alex... What's the latest piece of abuse you received online from our readers? <laughs> Someone called me the C-word this morning. The C-word? Like early this morning, like midnight. That's a strong, strong... Cantankerous. Cantankerous. Yeah. <laughs> so um, why did people call you the C-word? What was the story? I think that's the worst thing about it. So I don't really know. I got called a parasitic journo C-word. Yeah, I'm sorry about that. Yeah, and then... <laughs> 
and then Matt offered to make me a cup of tea after calling me that. I honestly don't know what I did this time. <laughs> this time. All the other times. Totally I justifiable. I, I just came into work this morning. I'd shared a story from one of our colleagues uh, in a Facebook group, which is something that we do, try and get the word out there. I had loads of comments and stuff. Some people were unhappy with the piece or whatever. There's always something that happens. And then someone had just said that, yeah, I was... Uh, right out of the blue. Right out of the blue. I mean, to be fair, he's one of our regular trolls who is not a biggest fan. He is, previously, he has accused myself and one of our colleagues of taking illicit substances and drinking Pims in Clifton. Oh, I remember that guy. Yeah, that guy. To be honest, I think I'm more offended by being in Clifton and drinking Pims than I am by the illicit substances. <laughs> I don't, so, I mean, to be honest, I don't even drink. So what, what would you say to your your troll? I hope he has a lovely life. So we have a, a stable of regulars here, don't we? We, we do, have a yeah, bunch yeah. of regular trolls who only do it for attention. So, mm. And here we are chatting about him on the podcast. Yeah, Mission accomplishment, listen, well done. Listens. You're I famous now. I'll tag him in this did episode. It. Yeah, did tag him. <laughs> What's the weirdest insult you've ever had anyway, Joe? I can't remember the wording of it, but I got super abused in the comments of my most famous story, the one about the Tinder date that went wrong and yeah, the girl yeah. who threw out the window. <laughs> it's claiming- still funny. It's still funny. <laughs> still uh, funny. The guy was claiming that I made it all up because obviously he'd seen the story elsewhere. But what happened was the story went went globally viral. He came on the Bristol Post and where and it originated from, pulled me yeah. out for making up my own story, which that's the one that stuck because it hurt. It wasn't the abuse. You did a really good job because you would have had to have posed up firefighters leaning through a window. <laughs> but doesn't that isn't that like the number one rule of like oh no that's rumours we don't want that you know when you start <laughs> when you what start you a rumour and it goes full circle and the rumour comes back to you oh yeah that whole thing I mean I guess it's a mark of how widespread that story was that he yeah. thought I would have stolen it and to be honest we thought it was made up when that first sort of came in we read that you know it was a just given page wasn't it they'd yeah, be set up and, yeah. it, and it sort of sat at this it's whole one story. of those magical times where we all stood around the computer reading everyone yeah, everyone started we, laughing we all looked at it and thought there's no way that can be real and then the fire service were like yeah it's real we were there <laughs> <laughs> speaking of another one of those moments when we all gather around we spent about 10 minutes of the day watching Joe outside Oh yeah, I got a video. Someone shot a video of me from the window, filming me from the window, standing on the corner waiting for my photographer to turn up, give me a lift somewhere. And the the whole office stopped and started looking at me. Good 15, 20 people looking at the office window, just watching Joe. And I filmed him for about a minute and then sent him the video. One of the creepiest things that ever happened to me, I think. That's... uh Weird. It was really odd. Having been up there and being part of it, it was very weird. <laughs> I wondered why people were looking out the window. I thought something must be going on out there. It, it was, was literally me standing on the pavement. Literally, Joe was it, going something on. Was, out there. Something was going on. Joe was there. <laughs> Fan club. <laughs> anyway, we are here with my esteemed colleague Joe Smith. Hello. Who is here? To, we're going to have a wide-ranging conversation today, aren't we? But we're going to talk a little bit. This ties in quite nicely. We're going to talk a little bit about your weird stories, but also a little bit about the weekend shifts, because they're slightly different than than the week, aren't they? We have, you know, run a bit of a toned-down team and a bit of a skeleton crew. But also the stories are a bit different as well, it seems. But you had a weird weekend, didn't you? It has been a weird weekend, yes. So I'm going to talk you through what happened to me this weekend. <laughs> and uh, in the course of that, hopefully give you a flavour of what weekends are like here at Bristol Live. And just to clarify, this is in this is a weird weekend in the course of a work weekend. We're not going to just go through Joe Smith's night out in prison, you know, where he had a weird evening. First, I woke up on Saturday morning, had some toast. <laughs> no, it's going, to be, it's going to be work stuff. We take it in terms to work weekends here. The reporters do it in on a rotor. Uh, there'll normally be an early reporter. And then about 2pm, they're replaced by a late shift reporter. 
and there'll be one person on the news desk fielding calls, publishing stories, that kind of thing. So there'll be two people in the office, which is a much slimmer version of our news team. And I think it's fair to say they're not hugely popular the weekends, are they? I don't think there's anyone that wakes up and thinks, oh, I'm so delighted to work in a weekend this week, which is probably not hugely surprising, to be honest. I don't know if that's going to be massively controversial. <laughs> Those Saturday mornings can be a little bit tough. Yeah, yeah. Or the late shift on sort of 10 o'clock on Sunday night when, you know, something happens and you know you're going to be stuck there for a little while. Yes. It, it can hurt. It can. But a good thing about the weekends is that as the only reporter in the building, all the stories that come into Bristol Live come into you. So you get to do everything. And that can be a good thing or a bad thing. Um, weekends tend to either be really, really, really busy or really, really, really quiet. So you'll find yourself either running around like an uh, idiot, chasing stories, or sitting in the office looking for stuff you can put up um, to kind of fill, fill the gaps. Because one of the problems we have as well is that most other services tend to completely shut down, don't they, on the weekend? And they also run skeleton crews or they're not in basically so sometimes you cannot get information for things you know because um police will only respond to certain queries on the weekend it's really difficult to get in touch with them as well don't know if the fire service only have someone on call so they're quite hard to get in touch with council i don't think there's anyone there's you know on call service so if something does happen it's really difficult to get anything confirmed to get official comments and things like that isn't it i think the council do have a duty press officer i know i've spoken to them but just in their defense yeah, it changes how you write stories. It is much harder to get comments from companies or public bodies on the weekend, obviously, because everyone's off enjoying themselves. That doesn't stop us trying. So <laughs> this weekend, uh, let's talk through the stories we did. So Saturday was pretty normal. It started off with some traffic lights that had broken in the city centre. Pretty regular occurrence, those ones, aren't they? Especially yeah. on the weekends, they do happen a fair bit. Yeah, so the traffic lights were stuck on red man. The green man never came. People so, are still waiting there now. People are still waiting there now, as far as, far as I know. Um but no, that was obviously affecting the city centre, lots of people. So we thought we'd do a little story about that, let people know what's happening. There was a press release from the fire service about an arson in Hartcliffe. And then a story came in to us via my colleague, Tristan Cork. This was kind of midday crossover point. Me and Tristan were both in the office. This is one of the greatest stories ever written. <laughs> I don't think I don't oversell it. Are you overselling it? or Because well, I have no idea what you're talking about. He's, no, me neither, but he's probably not. I've seen Smith's track record. And um, he's got a good he's track got, record. You know what, he's got a track That's record. That's what I mean though, right? Because he's saying the best story ever written, but... Is it going to trump your is other Is it going to trump well, no, this, is, this isn't one of mine, this is one of Tristan's. Oh, this is one of Tristan's. Right. Okay. And, it, and it trumps pretty much everything else written in the English language. <laughs> um, so, yeah, Saturday afternoon, Tristan pipes up that he has discovered a man who is crowdfunding £5,000 for a remote control, self-erecting, penis-shaped coffin for his own funeral. <laughs> whoa, whoa, whoa. Say, say that again. Okay, so this is a remote control, self-erecting penis coffin, six feet long, <laughs> for a man to be buried inside of. Or maybe cremated. I don't know. <laughs> this is a true story. I don't know. If, uh, you could have gone anywhere with that, but I think the, the first question is, in what way is it remote controlled? <laughs> How does it work? That's a good question. So this is John Langley. John Langley is a long-time political activist in Bristol. He will be well-known to some people, I imagine. Well-known to some. But he could be quite obscure to a few listeners, I suppose. If you are a close follower of the Bristol political scene or the adult porn industry, you'll know him either as John Langley or Johnny Rockard. John, for a long time, has 
been a campaigner about various issues in Bristol. He stood for the council. He stood for the general election. He stood for mayor. He has thrown himself into activism behind Bristol's homelessness problem. Um, he's no stranger to... We're going to call them stunts. They're stunts. <laughs> he does stunts. He does. Th- he does these political he, stunts. Political stunts. He's a, he's a one-man opposition, isn't he? Really, but not in the sense of he will, you know, kind of criticise the council in your normal way. He will come up with something that you've never seen before. Basically, won't he? Right. Yeah. He's a real marmite guy. He divides opinion. I think it's fair to say. Um, he in the past has done things like he once picketed outside an election hustings organised by Bristol Women's Voice, uh, wearing a pink lady swimsuit. Last year, on the eve of March Against Austerity, uh, organised by Marvin Rees, he turned up at City Hall with some loaves of bread and some fishes to help the mayor with the catering. So he's just, he, <laughs> he's just kind of go. He um he has a real eye, a real knack for um, you know, eye catching stunts for head- headline grabbing, you know, yeah, activities, I suppose. And so what's happened now is that um, Mr. Langley has set up a crowdfunding website, um, and with a video, which. You know, we're laughing, but it's quite sad. He, he's he been diagnosed with a chronic lung condition, which he says will at some point end his life. So in classic John Langley style, in his words, he wants to go out the way he came in. So he's crowdfunding this enormous penis coffin. Now, to answer your question, why is it remote controlled? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> he said it was because uh, the pool bearers wouldn't want to carry a giant penis on yeah. their shoulders. Which I think is reasonable. He thought of everything. He's clearly thought this through quite carefully. So someone's going to control it and it's going to drive itself down the aisle in the crematorium. Part of me feels like the pallbearers are the least of his worries with this. I mean, there's all sorts of barriers before you even get to the pallbearers carrying it down the room. Well, I mean, the first barrier is cost. Obviously, this this is going to be an all-singing, all-dancing penis coffin and it's going to cost £5,000. So he's... um. That feels cheap for a coffin. But I'm also wondering where where do you get a quote for that? Yeah. Well, he, as he points out in the crowdfunder, this is a first of its kind historical moment. Um, as far as we know, no one's done this before. I think we would know. Yeah. I, I feel, like, I feel, like, we feel like we would have heard about this. Yeah, I think so. So, I mean, maybe it's just a guess. <laughs> maybe based on previous experience. Maybe he knows how much. Based on, based on the cost of parts. Based on a non-coffin six-foot wooden penis, mm. what that would cost. And then yeah. add in the remote Because I mean, we've also got one of those. the electricity yeah. bill. Yeah. <laughs> and he himself is well aware, this is quite funny, isn't it? He says in the crowdfunding video, he says, people might donate because it's hilarious basically yeah, yeah no so he's he's you know tearing apart the modern idea, the idea of a funeral like he, he wants it to be a celebration he wants it to be funny he wants to go out with people laughing i think he's always been you know into entertaining people and this would be probably one of the most entertaining funerals it would to conceive you would be hard pressed not to at least giggle if you saw that i mean my question is who's going to lead the service yeah well i mean how are you going to keep a straight face as, as the vicar or, or whoever Surely there's going to be some objectors to that. Well, I think there may well. be several objectors to that. I mean, especially the part where Mr. Langley describes he wants this uh, hydraulic system installed so the, the penis coffin will self-erect at some point <laughs> during the ceremony. This is part of his plan as well. It's ambitious. You want it to come together, I'm, really, don't you? I, I mean, I do. So one, one of the things uh, he suggested was that um, perhaps companies might want to sponsor the coffin. So here's a quote. Nice big logo, yeah. There's even an opportunity for commercial sponsorship as well. It could be Durex or somebody like that who would enjoy the publicity. Smart. I like that. Pretty smart. Synergy. Yeah. So if you're listening, Durex, get in touch. 
I think we do have a few Jurex executives that in our listenership, don't we? I'm sure. We do. I think there's yeah, at least one or two. <laughs> he writes in. Do we know? Do we know how uh, Johnny Rockard is doing with his uh, fundraising? Actually, I haven't checked this morning. I don't know. Surprisingly, when we publish, I mean, when we publish stories, they often get picked up by news agencies. They end up, uh, you know, in national papers. This one hasn't been picked up by anyone not? yet, which surprises me because it's the kind of thing that you know you could see doing well in the tabloids. Absolutely. But I think maybe people are just too baffled by the whole thing. <laughs> it sounds like something we made up. I think that's what the problem is. It sounds uh, yeah, like it, it sounds like completely it, made up. It does. I think you're right. Yeah. And if you don't previously know him mm-hmm. you might assume that it was but then as soon as you know who he is and seen what he's previously done you're like he's completely serious he's he wants to make this happen and he will make it happen probably yeah, as yeah. Well. so we will we will bring you coverage of that to the best of our abilities when live updates it happens <laughs> so that was the first of the weird ones this week that was there's more that set the bar that one just set the bar didn't it yeah yeah so i mean well, i'm not sure if i can follow that but there the are best story of all time that's ever been written in the english language is the bar <laughs> there's, there, and then there's more and yeah then there's more. <laughs> and then there's more it's a hard act to follow yeah. yet smith's going to okay so and brings into sunday I'm working the late shift on Sunday, so I don't come into the office till 2pm. A friend of mine sends me a message on Facebook Did saying, you make it in at 2pm? No, I didn't. I was, <laughs> I was in late. I was in very late, and I'll tell you why. <laughs> on the way into the office, I went to a pub fire. So this is like not that weird in terms of news stories. Obviously, it's really bad news for the owners of the pub. Fortunately, nobody was hurt. But yeah, so on the way into, I got a message saying there's a, the Cadbury in Montpellier was on fire. So I headed there before work, and by the time I arrived, the fire was out. But fortunately, the staff at the pub were super, super helpful to me. One of the guys I talked to there was a former journalist himself, which, as you know, makes interviews super easy because they know exactly what you need. They're happy to give you the good quotes. They will pose for the camera. They do everything. So I got these two guys giving me these great quotes about how they tackled the blaze by themselves and they heroically like went for it until the fire brigade got there. They posed up for some brilliant pictures in the ruins as well, didn't they? Yeah, posing, holding fire extinguishers in the kind of burnt out ruins of their binyard. So that was the beginning of Sunday. Not too extensive damage to the pub. It's still open. It's been recently refurbished. It's a lovely pub. Go there. Plug there for the Cadbury. One of my locals. Sponsored partnership. Yeah, right. The Cadbury. Free pint, guys. Come on, free yeah. pint. <laughs> and then there was some fairly serious news. So burst water main. 850 homes left without water. In Armwoodsbury, Frenchay, Frampton Cotterill, South Gloucestershire, Froome and Shepton Mallet in Somerset. Um, that's a fairly big story because obviously 850 people haven't got water on one of the hottest days of the year. I found some good pictures of roads covered in water and whatnot. Then, this is the next weird one. A grandma phoned the office. She'd taken her kids to Dino Day at Tropicana Funland, a theme park in Western Supermare. Dino Day had been advertised on their social media as a day of everything dinosaur related with lots to see and do. I'm already hooked. Like right? I would be had I known about this, I would have been there, I think. And the poster was cool. It was like Jurassic Park, there was dinosaurs everywhere. It looked great. Upon arrival, families discovered only one dinosaur. <laughs> there just, was only one. Just one. Just one dinosaur. And you know, several people made the point that one dinosaur does not a dinosaur day make. <laughs> And I'm dubious about the fact whether this dinosaur was authentic. <laughs> in, and when you, when you say there was only one dinosaur there, in what format was the dinosaur? The dinosaur itself was pretty good. I'll give him that. Was it a man in a dinosaur costume? It looks to be... Spoiler a, alert. <laughs> look, I don't want to ruin it for any kids listening, but I think it was a man in a dinosaur. But the dinosaur costume was good. It like it looked like a Jurassic Park dinosaur. Um, it's like a, like a T-Rex. It looked the part. It was obviously smaller than a real T-Rex because it was a man. <laughs> but it looked the part. So 
This woman phoned up and she said, you know, she'd done a 50 mile round trip with her grandkids from Bristol to come to the park on the promise of a dinosaur day. She got a three year old and a seven year old. They're dinosaur mad, as I was at that age. Still am, let's be honest. And they'd arrived to, 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 to just one dinosaur and they were upset about this. So she phoned up to sort of register her upset. And I went on the Facebook event page for Dinosaur Day and there were lots of parents on there who were similarly upset. You know, stories of kids living in tears at the lack of dinosaurs and people who'd made a long journey for lack of dinosaurs. And because there was, you know, a fair few people upset, I thought this would be a good story. Jurassic Park would have been a very different film if it had just been one guy in a dinosaur suit as well, wouldn't it? I and feel it was like set in Western Sydney. Jeff Goldblum. Yeah. <laughs> I would watch that remake. <laughs> the Western version of Jurassic Park. <laughs> so what were the other parents talking about? Oh, I've got about? some quotes here, if you like. One mum wrote on Facebook, Dinosaur Day would suggest more than just one small dinosaur. Very disappointed. Someone else wrote, wow, one absolute waste of time. Disgusted that no one could even be bothered to tell the public that there was only one dinosaur. So many disappointed children with dino t-shirts on. I bought my dino mad five-year-old as a well done for his school report, but you left him in tears. He was so upset. This is horrible. That's heartbreaking. That really is. Well, I mean, yeah, you know. Image of all these kids in dinosaur t-shirts. Just, just crying disappointedly at one imagine being that guy as well it's not it's not the guy's fault that he's just one guy in a dinosaur costume and he's just made all these he's got to know right he's, he's got to know that this enough. is gonna be disappointing <laughs> he's not enough yeah but that you never know they may have been like this is the best event ever i can't believe we've managed to pull this together <laughs> i can't believe we've managed to convince dave to dress up as a dinosaur <laughs> for an entire day <laughs> all right so i did speak to the park and they did tell me what happened in their defence, they said that they were as disappointed as the guests were as well. They had booked more dinosaurs for Dinosaur Day. The van pulling the trailer full of dinosaurs broke down on the M5. This is just unbelievable. And it? had to be recovered. And so the other dinosaurs couldn't turn up. They were given very little notice, so oh. they couldn't cancel the event or warn people. Uh, people who complained at the park were given tokens for free rides and stuff. So they did try to handle complaints as, as much as they could. And they, were, you know, they said they didn't want to disappoint people. They felt very bad about how the whole thing had turned out. You know, they, they, they wanted to put on a good day and they were unable to for whatever reason. So that was what they said happened. Are they going to do it again, do they think? He admitted that um, they may have bigged it up a little bit too much in advertising. <laughs> so I, I, perhaps Dinosaur Day's done now. I don't know. We'll see. Oh, it's gutting for the kids. Yeah, it's a bit of a downer now, isn't it? It's a bit of a downer. I feel like we've kind of ruined the podcast, yeah. guys. Yeah. <laughs> that's the sad, saddest I'll be honest, story. I, yeah, I'm not feeling the most positive. Well, an upshot of it all was that we, we wrote a story about parents' outrage and dinosaurs, two things that always do well in the press. And it was picked up by, I think the Mirror Online ran it as well. So there yeah. you go. The world now knows. Have we got one more? We have got one more. Oh, oh there's one more. We have got one so more. So it's going to bring us back up. So this was a video I saw on Facebook. Full disclosure, I know the guy. <laughs> <laughs> I think last podcast I told you about I have a bunch of weird friends who often throw me stories. And so this was Sunday afternoon. It was a little bit quiet. I'm not going to lie. I come across this really good video of skateboarders on a homemade skateboard skating through the fountains in the city centre. This is amazing. This <laughs> so is funny. I, I did the social video for it. We haven't used it yet, but I'm so excited to use it. So the story essentially is man falls over. <laughs> <laughs> but it's quite it's spectacular. In spectacular fashion. It, yeah. Yeah. It's amazing. So this is two skateboarders. They're, they've built their own skateboard, which is just a big square plank of wood wheels on the bottom. One of them, who's like clearly quite pro skating, filmed kind of like skating along, ollieing into the fountains, skating through the fountains, which have got water in them and kind of foamy, washing up liquid in the water. So kind of parts in quite an epic way. And he like skates through and looks really cool. His friend then has a go, kind of lines up, skates towards the fountains, gets some speed up, 
falls on the skateboard, kind of runs, trips over the bench and just hurls like face first into the into the <laughs> fountains. And he's wearing like a weird robe and a hat and looks crazy and ends up splashing splashing around the fountains looking like an idiot. Um, and that, just the video was good enough to do a story around it. I watched That's it. Fantastic. I thought it was hilarious and I thought people would probably like to watch this. So I it's fantastic. It is fantastic. Was it a popular story as well? Like, I don't know, actually. I haven't checked the numbers on it. I bet it was. I mean, I think it was well received on Facebook. It was sent to me by one of my mates as well. Actually, one of my mates has spotted it and said, oh, this is pretty funny. Oh, okay, good I, stuff. I, I work there. No, I know. It's going to be one It's going to be one of those stories where all the comments are like, call this news, slow news day, blah, blah, blah. The truth is, it was a Sunday it's a, afternoon. It's a 25 degree Sunday. Of course, yeah. <laughs> of course it's a slow news day. I enjoyed watching it. I enjoyed writing it. Like, what are you going to do? Not all news has to be horrific hard-hitting news does it sometimes it can just be a bit weird i want to brighten up people's days they were wearing some costumes as well weren't they the guy it's worth mentioning they were yeah do, do we dressed know what as the, wizards or something yeah do we know it? what the inspiration was behind those no no <laughs> I, they like they like to you know dress up and look cool so yeah they were both wearing pretty snazzy outfits but you have to watch a video to see that so mm. one of the weirder weekends by the sounds of it then yeah an eventful one it finished off on a weird note as well uh the road was closed outside the bus station Melbourne street was closed off uh for a police incident Fire crews, ambulances was down there. The attention was focused on a building covered in scaffolding near to the subway. I believe it was a concern for welfare. So there's not much we can really say about that. But yeah, that was a more kind of standard news story. Brought an end to the day. All in all, fairly busy weekend. You were talking recently about how much you love doing these weird stories and working in local news because they bring up these weird stories. Is that like a highlight of, of the job for you? Um, In this job, you deal with a fair amount of human misery and suffering heartbreaking stuff kids that need operations people who've lost loved ones tragic accidents death destruction and chaos um i write those stories because they're important people need to know about them uh i lo- i enjoy bringing the news to people i also really enjoy doing the more light-hearted stuff stuff that tickles me stuff that you can write with a smile on your face it really breaks up the day and uh yeah i think you get it more in local news than anywhere else there is kind of some people always have a pop when you do stories like that, don't they? You know, they say, oh, slow news day, things like that. Is this even news? But people always forget that news has always been there to educate and inform, but also it has been there to entertain as well, hasn't it? You know, there's always been news stories that have been a little bit weird and wonderful. And we just bring you everything that's happening in the city, don't we? We don't just bring you sort of the, the awful news or the really happy news. We just bring you a cross section of everything that's happening. And sometimes that is a guy skateboarding into the fountains down by the hippodrome. Yeah, isn't it? Yeah. And I think I completely agree that sometimes when one of those stories sort of drops in your lap, you see it on social media, you just think, amazing. You know, it's just too good to not write about it, isn't it? You know what I mean? People are talking about it everywhere anyway, a lot of the time on social media and stuff. So it's always fantastic to bring in, bring out these weird and wonderful ones. And you've obviously got a bit of a reputation now for, for bringing the weird and wonderful. As you said, you were the, the man behind... Uh, the Tinder Poo Day story in the sense that you were the reporter who first wrote about it. Let's be clear about that. I was the reporter that wrote about it. <laughs> Not the guy Not on the, guy. the date. <laughs> no, who does look a bit like me to be, yeah, to be honest. Yeah, you could be brothers. Maybe we are. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I want to ask you if you've got like a weirdest story you've ever written or like a favourite story. I have written a lot of weird stories. The one that sticks in my mind, I think it's because it's really simple and clear cut, is Dog on a Roof. <laughs> it's just Dog on a Roof. It's a real Dog simple a story. It's a classic. It's a classic. Classic, a classic of the genre. Man and his daughter live in a house in South Bristol, off in the pub. Neighbour runs in, tells them their dog's on the roof. They come home to find their dog on the roof with their two-story property. Daughter, thankfully, snaps a pic 
of this really proud looking beast standing on top of his bay window. And um, the fire brigade are called and the, <laughs> the family members have to rescue the dog through the skylight. <laughs> And it's just bananas, <laughs> but it's just a dog on a roof. I don't know why I like it so the much. Picture. I remember seeing the picture as well. Just this dog quite confidently stood on I the just roof love, well, I love it? imagining the thought process of the dog, like why he felt he needed <laughs> yeah. to get on the roof. Yeah. <laughs> what was the headline on that one as well? I, can't, I, I, I submitted it to the desk with just dog on a roof. <laughs> but I think they made it something a little bit more informative. Because I feel like it's really difficult to get people to read that story because it's, it will say dog on a roof. And then you've got a picture of a dog on a roof. And then what more are you really going to get from, know, <laughs> from reading that story? I mean, the family talked me through the, a, quite a daring rescue operation they mounted where the daughter was hanging onto the back of the dad's trousers. as He leaned out of the skylight to try and rescue the dog. And the fire brigade turned up just to say, hold it back inside. But yeah, at the end of the day, it was a dog on a roof. <laughs> as we so, were saying, the dog was fine as well. Everyone was, was fine. Everyone was fine. <laughs> no, oh. no animals were hurt. In the making, no dogs. No dogs. No dogs of, of the, in the making of this roof. <laughs> the rescue. Of this. <laughs> All right, Joe. Thanks so much for talking us through a pretty weird weekend. You're welcome. Joe really is a magnet for these weird and wonderful stories. So thanks to him for talking a little bit about how we find them, where they come from, but also what it's like to work a weekend here as well. Right, let's go straight into our next conversation with Bronwyn Weatherby, who has written an opinion piece that has split opinion. Can you give us your name and job title, please? My name is Bronwyn Weatherby, and I'm a female journalist. <laughs> <laughs> you dropped that one in here straight away. For Bristol Live. She's already taken side shots <laughs> at a, another trade publication. Just for a bit of background on that for our poor listeners who are bewildered about why Bron's just introduced herself <laughs> as a female journalist. Stating my gender. Bron has been tweeted by a trade publication. Let's, we'll leave names out of this in the interest of fairness. Okay. We'll leave names out. But she's been tweeted by a trade publication who referred to her as female journalist Bronwyn Weatherby. And how do you feel about that, Bron? <laughs> as a female journalist, how do you feel being <laughs> referred to as a female journalist? Look, I, I mean, it is funny. I mean, on, on a couple of levels, from a journalistic point of view, when you're training, you don't, you're kind of taught not to say female doctor or may or even male driver because it's kind of the way police and emergency services talk it's not really the way we write things and it's a bit detached from how we would talk normally you just call a person a man a woman a dad you know that's the way we talk <laughs> on another level it it is a very old school thing to do because people tend to do it put female in front of professions that are known to be more male driven or you know it suggests tradi- that it's, traditionally suggests that it's the exception doesn't it really I suppose yeah. so. she's a female journalist not a doctor she's a, she, a she's, female doctor she's a journalist yeah. a woman also quite yeah. surprising I know give the woman can a hand believe can you believe it <laughs> yeah. this actually this conversation this sort of intro does tie into what we're going to be talking about doesn't it because you wrote an opinion piece where you put your yourself and your own experiences at the forefront and there's been quite an interesting reaction to the piece that you've written, which was quite an important piece. And one of the reactions was being referred to as a female journalist. (laughs) So it does all tie in with what we're going to be talking about this week. Tell us a little bit about how that opinion piece came about and what it was. Okay, so for uh, anyone who hasn't read it, it is about cycling. And it's about what it's like to be a female cyclist. (laughs) Sorry, no, I will stop there. That's the last one, honestly. Um, It's about how comfortable women are cycling around the city. And 
in all fairness, it comes off the back of actually a story that you wrote, Alex, to do with women and the statistics of women who get harassed and, and, and other things whilst they're cycling around the city. And then that was followed up by Grace, who uh, is one of our What's On reporters. She actually does cycle to work. We actually talked about this. We did. As well this was on, on one of the previous episodes. We should put the, the link to all those stories in the description yeah, definitely, thing down that's, below. That's an amazing, another opinion piece. Um, She wrote it from her viewpoint, her experiences as someone who does cycle. Cycles to and from work quite a a lengthy distance. And she's had some horrible experiences, a lot of which her partner was very surprised about because being, being a man and being a cyclist, he hasn't experienced a lot of those things, even though, you know, Cycling can also be dangerous for men. So, and we were having a conversation in the newsroom one day, just as, you know, colleagues and friends do, you know, about your piece, which was where the idea for Grace's piece came came from. And I realised in that moment, because I remember saying to you both, I've been putting off cycling. I've wanted to cycle because I don't drive to work. I catch the bus or I walk, but, you know, it'll take about 40 minutes. If I cycled, I could cut that in half and whilst getting fit and whilst not having to pay for the bus. But I realised in that moment that I was actually too scared to. And that was like a, you know, a realisation for me because I'm not usually scared to put myself out of my comfort zone at all, really. So realising that I felt like there were barriers to me doing this, some of which are very real and Grace spoke about in her piece made me think that there must be so many more other women out there in Bristol alone, but across the UK, who would like to do that, would like to uh, take that step, but unfortunately feel for a number of different reasons that they can't. So that's why I wrote the opinion piece. Yeah, so this all stems from a, it was a study carried out by the campaign transport group uh, Sustrans. They carried out some research which find that fewer women in Bristol cycle than men, but more women would like to cycle in the city as well, but they felt that there were certain barriers between being able to get out on the bike on the roads. There were some that were sort of, you know, that are quite universal to everyone. So, you know, road safety, things like that, access to bikes. But then there's also things like uh, gender-based barriers where women come in for more abuse on the roads than, you know, from other road users, other drivers, but also other cyclists as well. And that was a really interesting study that was carried out. So I went to an event, you know, it was a panel event where they discussed what this all meant um, in terms of Bristol and getting more people cycling, that sort of thing. So I wrote a piece on that. And then one of the responses that I got to that piece was that it's a shame this wasn't written by a a woman, Mm. which was quite an interesting response because it was just something, an event that I went to. It was a report that I'd picked up because I cover a lot of cycling stuff anyway. And that was how we got onto the conversation, wasn't it? Or someone had said, oh, I would like to have seen more personal experiences from women. Why couldn't this have been written by a woman? So I came and sort of spoke to Grace uh, and yourself who doesn't cycle and Grace who does cycle. And that's how we got talking about it, wasn't it really? But then talking about that reaction, there was quite an interesting reaction to your piece as well, wasn't there? That were from all angles, I would say, yeah, and there it seemed was, to depend yeah. which social media you're on as well, didn't it? Quite, <laughs> quite weirdly. It did. I mean, the cycling community, they're, they're a strong community on social media, as most people in the media who work in the media will know. If you tap into that community and you can work with them for stories and stuff, you know, it's a fantastic online community. But that also means that there can be quite a large backlash if you say something that people don't agree with or like. I mean... On the most part, I would say 
there were lots of people that were very supportive and gave lots of advice and were backing up what I was saying with their own experiences. Even as men, a lot of men were saying, you know, we, you know, we, we spend a lot of time getting, you know, with near misses and people shouting at us as well. And, you know, it is worse for women because we know other women who cycle. So that was nice. And it was good to get people talking. A part of getting people talking is accepting that there are going to be negative viewpoints or comments that don't agree with you. However, some were quite, quite strong. <laughs> um, I think people took offense to the fact that I don't cycle around the city and yet wrote this opinion piece. But from my point of view, you know, the opinion piece was all about the fact that I I don't cycle yet yeah, and I kinda, want to. Kind of like they missed the point. Yeah, that's exactly. exactly. Yeah, that's yeah. what it seemed to be. Yeah, um, and I appreciate that. I appreciate that, you know, there are lots of positives to cycling in the city. That's exactly why I want to. Grace says that in her piece, that, you know, when she got going and... Unfortunately, she has to live with the kind of abuse and harassment that she can get on a on a weekly basis. But, you know, there are so many fantastic aspects of cycling that you just want to carry on. So you should take that step. People also thought I was scaremongering and that my by by my saying my opinion and my feelings about being worried about cycling, that I would, in fact, make other people think twice before cycling. But I think... I don't think that argument really stands up. And this is why there are plenty of women who feel exactly like I do. And by acknowledging that, people can start to acknowledge it themselves and try and get over those barriers like I am trying to, rather than than just trying to pretend like everything's fine, everything's fine. If you get on a bike and start cycling to work, nothing's going to happen to you. And then, you know, the inevitable happens and, and things do happen. So I don't think that really holds up. I think also people people can go a bit crazy when you write an opinion piece. You know, we're journalists, so most of the time we're writing straight news pieces. Opinion doesn't come into it as much as people try and say it does. But no, you know, we're, we're balanced and non-political and things like that. But when you write an opinion piece, it's from first person. And sometimes people can get a bit strange about their reaction yeah, almost, to that. Almost like they get confused and they don't realise like it, yeah. it, that it's it's not necessarily a news story. It's just this is an issue that we've noticed. Yeah. So this person's going to say what they think about yeah. it. We have to write in massive letters that it's, it's an, an opinion, opinion piece as well, which it says it all over it, doesn't yeah. it? You know, it must say it three, four times you on don't the way You don't want to mislead people. Yeah. I mean, um, I think that was a discussion that came out maybe a couple of years ago that news websites weren't, properly differentiating between their news and their opinion and that was something that needed to be done and so I don't know whether it's come off the back of that but I imagine it has that you know whenever we write an opinion piece it says opinion semicolon and then whatever the headline is a lot there was a one or two women who were um I think it was on Facebook were angry at me for betraying women generally in a certain light got angry and said you know you don't speak for me I can't believe you've made women look weak like the weaker sex and that we can't cope with things like that I mean that's not at all what I was aiming to do I mean it's an opinion piece so it's from my perspective there's nothing in that that generally states women are weaker or the inferior sex and that all women are scared of cycling because that's obviously not the case there are plenty of women who do cycle but you still can't deny that women are worried about certain aspects of cycling. You know, that's 
that's plain. That's obvious. That happens on a day-to-day basis. Women do have to cope with different barriers to men. That doesn't mean we're inferior. And people seem to miss that this wasn't just something out of the blue that you'd come up with and decided to write yourself. You know, it was something that was based on on evidence that had been gathered. It, yeah. it said exactly what you said in your piece. And so if, effectively what it was, was giving a specific voice to statistics that we already had backing this up wasn't it really it was in response to that people didn't seem to realize that they said you don't speak for me you don't speak for all women why are you trying to but that wasn't the point of it was it the the point of it was was in that questionnaire you know in those statistics where it said there's a certain group of people you know a certain group of women that Mm. want to cycle but don't currently you were the voice behind those behind that really when you're one of the voices behind that should I say exactly I think it's it's perfectly feasible for, and it's good that um, a news website, a news organisation tries to explore the different angles of one particular story or argument. Now, cycling is big in Bristol. We're a very green city, I'd say. Like People love cycling here. And there has been efforts made to make the city more cycle friendly. There are lots of uh, cycle friendly areas, I would say, even still being scared to cycle myself you know there's nothing wrong with exploring it from the uh, angle that you did which was a more you know as a study you know um, statistics um, an organization had collated those statistics and you presented them in a news piece and then there was Grace's angle which was from her opinion there was mine you know that's that's good journalism that's really showing the different shades of an argument and some people, you know, some people are going to, I guess, maybe not take to that. I find it a really bizarre argument that some people said you're scaremongering. You shouldn't have written this because it's, it's not true or you're going to put other people off of cycling. I just find that bizarre because they're not fears that you've just invented in order to be able to write a good piece, are they? You know, they're genuinely held concerns about why you don't want to get out on the road and whether they're yeah. evidence based or not. I'm not saying they're not true at all, but if whether they're evidence based or not, is besides the point because you hold those concerns mm-hmm. and so do so many people. And if we don't talk about them, how can we then ever improve them? Things like road safety. How can we ever improve road safety if no one ever goes, the roads aren't safe enough and that's why I'm not out on the roads because yeah. it actually concerns me. And to be honest, I cycle quite a lot as well. Yeah. And I'm not going to deny it. I am scared to cycle on the roads. You know, it is terrifying. I'm riding my bike every day. I ride to work, but it's still terrifying regardless. And I shouldn't not say those fears, you know, just because it might put someone else off because it is, it can be scary. And also you said, you said uh, in the beginning, it was in that moment that you realized. Mm. And so for a lot of people, they probably justify, we all justify different behaviours, like I'm not going to the gym because, oh, I've got to do this. And so you think in your head it's one reason, but then the moment someone says something out loud that that resonates with you, you're going to suddenly think, no, wait, that's the reason. Yeah, I didn't realise. I get it now. Yeah. And then you can actually tackle the issue. And it's a platform that puts it in front of the people that matter as well, isn't it? You know, it's a platform where people at Bristol City Council, people at campaign transport groups, you know, things like that will see this piece and they'll say, oh, okay. Or even drivers, even other people that drive cars, you know, that can be a bit erratic on the roads or that are very, have a lack lack of patience for cyclists could see that. And if you can change someone's mind and make the roads a nicer place for everyone, Mm -hmm. then that's completely worthwhile, isn't it? it Yeah. I mean, I think it's worth noting as well, um, you know, I... Matt's exactly right. You know, I I realised in that moment and I've started making moves now to try and overcome the things that were making me most scared to cycle. And there is a hope that for me that that happens with other women and other, you know, other men who might think 
I'm also scared of cycle, actually. So like maybe I can do something about that. But it's also worth noting that we're journalists and we do have, you know, we, we're lucky to have a big platform here to put news stories out on and to put opinion pieces out on. But we are just, we're just people. We're people who live in this city. We're people who notice things that go on. Um, the only difference is we do have that large platform where we can, you know, put put our opinions out there or put news out there. Um, those, you know, it doesn't make, there's nothing behind it. There's no ulterior motive. There's no want to scaremonger. There's want to relate to our readership because our readership are essentially exactly like us. They are people who live in this city and um, want to live more harmoniously and enjoy their time here. Does a reaction like this, I mean, it was, I was thinking it's fair to say it was a mixed reaction, but I saw a lot of positive support for your piece as well. You know, there are a lot of people that were tweeted saying, you know, I completely agree with this. This is my experience. People saying, oh, thanks for raising this. I've never considered it in this sort of way. And then there was the other side of the response as well, where people said, oh, you shouldn't have written this or you don't speak for me, blah, blah, blah. Mm. So does that reaction put you off putting yourself at the forefront of a story like that? Has it affected the, whether you're willing to put yourself, you know, your own experiences at the front of an article? Or do you think it's something that you will, you know, continue to do where it needs to be done? No, I'll, I'll continue to do it where it needs to be done. I, I think we get reaction from all sorts of stories. Yes, it's more personal when it's your opinion and it's more of a feature and it's come from, you know, I guess, your heart. Um, but it doesn't put me off because, you know, I... I engaged with these people online. I engaged with them on Twitter and on Facebook and I did get a lot of positive feedback and in a lot of areas where people were giving some negative feedback, although some of it was valid, you know, a lot of it was misunderstanding. So it's important to engage with people so that you continue that dialogue so that people understand. But I think, I don't know, opinion pieces, comment, whatever you're going to call them, they're important in journalism. They're important enough that we continue to do them even though we do get kind of shot at when when we do by by certain members of the community but no I'm I'm more than willing to carry on doing it. Are you more likely to engage with constructive criticism as well because I think with every article you write there's a certain cross-section of our readership that will not engage constructively at all they'll just say things that are you know deliberately divisive or offensive or they'll just swear do you have a rule for only engaging with constructive criticism or are you sort of on do you try and engage with everything my rule is generally to be as polite as possible <laughs> you know lots of people have different styles i'm not saying that journalists um engage uh in in a rude kind of way but what i've always got in the back of my mind is whoever these people are and however they're coming across over social media they are people and they've got families and they probably don't you know they don't realize the impact of what they're saying either you know so i always try to engage politely but no i like to engage with both negative and constructive criticism and positive i like to say even if it's like you know uh, a like on on facebook or um, you know, just saying thank you for your support, you know, um, that kind of thing. You are right, though. Um, people who don't engage constructively, unless it, they are um, being completely inaccurate and they're calling me out on something and saying that I've said something that I haven't or, yeah, being particularly divisive. I, I tend not to, yeah, I tend not to talk to them because 
they're not trying to have a productive conversation. I'll engage with people who are trying to have a productive conversation, even if that comment is slightly negative. They're putting across their opinion. You know, I want to have a conversation with that person. If they're just saying something or swearing, like you had a tweet the other day that was calling you a very rude word. We talked about this. We talked about this in this week's episode of the oh, podcast, right. okay, actually. Yeah. yeah. So you someone, it, it was actually in response to your opinion piece. So I, I shared it in a Facebook exactly. group and someone managed to respond to calling me the C word. And part of me thought that was unfair because you wrote the opinion piece. I was just sharing <laughs> If anything, they should be calling me the C word. <laughs> but, then, but then also, I, it was, what, as mentioned earlier, it was one of our regulars. So it is hard to take it seriously when it is someone that, is consistently like that, isn't it really? Yeah. Do you know what I would take seriously and I think most good journalists would take seriously is when someone is comments or tweets you with something that makes you think, oh, maybe I was wrong mm. or maybe am I have I been inaccurate? And that does that happen, make, doesn't it? That it does, does you know, you do get messages and you think, oh, fair enough. Okay. Yeah. yeah. You know, that that was something that could have been improved on. Exactly. It's not like we ignore all I think that's comments some, and criticism. I think that's something more people, I don't want to say need to realise because it makes me sound completely obnoxious. <laughs> <laughs> but I think there are smart people on both sides of the fence most of the time. So there's always yeah. somebody to listen to, whether you agree it. with them it's or not. And that's it, it's an opinion piece. It's one person's opinion. It's my opinion. And lots of people have opinions. I'm not opposed to listening to other people's opinions. I'm not going to shove down their throat my opinion just because I have a big news platform and ignore everyone else you know I, I said recently to the trade publication that you mentioned at the beginning of uh, this podcast uh, they're a publication who write about goings on in journalism and journalists and the work they're doing and things like that so as journalists we keep you know a good a good eye on that because it's interesting and they approached me about the story because I think of the the reaction it was getting uh, and things and asked me to comment about the the reaction and what I thought about it and one of the last things I said was you know at the end of the day journalism shouldn't be a one-way street and we are you know we're learning more and more that that kind of to and fro with our audience is really important and it's important for everyone not just us it's important for them um to have to realize that we are taking on board you know who they are and what they think about what we do um, so it's been an interesting week, that's for sure. <laughs> um, you know, it it always is when you have a big story like this, but it's part of the game. And I really enjoy the fact that so many people engage with me on social media. It was, it was good. It was it's good kind of feeling. the point of an opinion piece as well is yeah. this sort of debate, isn't it? You don't want backlash. You don't want it to all be one way. You know, we're not here to deliberately sort of inflame people and get people irritated and things, but it is the point of an opinion piece like this is to get a debate going and get people talking, isn't it? I suppose it can be a shame sometimes that in the mass of online comments and things like that, there are some really unhelpful comments as yeah. well. One of the things, one of my rules is sort of, I will engage constructively with, you know, people that are positive, people that are negative, as long as they're being constructive and being sincere and they're not just deliberately trolling you because you end yeah. up getting into an argument about nothing then, don't you? Um, but one of the one of the rules I have is that I will take criticism far more seriously if someone's emailed it in as well i know that comments are the easiest way to get That's across so your views but that doesn't take any time or effort you're already on facebook you're scrolling through it comes up and people say things they don't necessarily mean in facebook comments so it's hard to filter out the two but i received an email about a piece that i did where it was some some effectively some criticism about some language that i'd used and i because it comes through in an email i read it and i thought oh 
he's completely right. And you just add more weight to it because someone actually went through the effort and was trying to reach you rather than just, you know, unnecessarily sort of spewing I'm gonna, at you. I'm going to start sending you more emails. <laughs> send, me more, send me more emails about my hosting skills, Matt, because I've you, got some criticism. You, you keep tweeting me. and <laughs> I'm constantly so, email, so emailing easy, Alex me. Abuse. It's one of my favourite pastimes. She emailed me the wrong story today. As well. <laughs> I am, I'm can't intrigued. get it right every time. I'm, I'm intrigued. What are the fears? What are my fears? Yeah. Read my story, Matt. Spiders. <laughs> I, I want to hear it from you. <laughs> Okay, well, you know, I think some people would say these are unfounded, but again, like Alex said, you know, there are personal fears, which I think a lot of people share with me. I think one of the fears is just generally danger. You know, I've lived in the city for a year. Um, I've sat in cars, I've sat on buses, I have been walking past busy roads, and I can't tell you the amount of times that I've seen a car and particularly buses nearly wipe out cyclists. It freaks me out. You know, and I wouldn't say I'm unfit, but I wouldn't say I'm like, you know, Lance Armstrong either, you know. So, <laughs> but, you know, I don't really feel like I would be instantly equipped to be pacing it up like Red Cliff Hill in the city centre. We live in a really in, hilly city. Yeah, it's in, ridiculous. In front hilly. of a bus and feel completely okay with it. You know, mm. they, they, they tailgate, they come really close. It's not just bus drivers. I don't I don't want to vilify bus drivers because a lot of times they are actually the best drivers on the road. Love you, bus drivers. But um female bus drivers. Female bus drivers. <laughs> Delete <the> that bit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that's that's a big problem for me. I think as well, um the reaction that women on bikes get I mean I walk around the city so you know I have occasionally I mean I could probably count on one hand or less than one hand the amount of times I've been catcalled here which is significantly less than when I lived in like Cardiff for instance so that's quite good but you know I've got a lot of female friends and quite a few of them cycle and they you know they get quite a lot of abuse because they're on the road so it's all it's from uh road drivers but it's also from from just people pedestrians on the road or I think when women are are on a bike they're viewed differently you know they're I don't know what it is I can't tell you the reason behind the psyche of someone who's willing to shout at a woman well one of my theories is what I say in the opinion piece is that, you know, a woman is probably not going to meet up with you at lights and, you know, yell at you back or or even, you know, pose any kind of physical threat to you. Particularly as well, because most women, and myself included, would rather not get any further retaliation. So you will just kind of, you know, you might swear back. You know, I, I might do that. But, you, you, you know, you're, you're not going to face them down because... But they're stronger than you, you know, they're, or you just don't want to risk it. So that's why I think a lot of people wouldn't yell at a man on a bike because they're, they, you know, they do pose that risk. You know, you might, you might get threatened or you might get sworn out. So that's, that's another reason. And as well, you know, quite honestly, I'm not that confident on a bike. Like I can ride a bike, but my confidence of road cycling is not very high. I wasn't in a school when when I was younger that taught me how to cycle on the roads. And I would say that that goes for a lot of women and a lot of men as well. Um, I'll be honest, yeah, I, I was taught when I was yeah. in school and I'm still terrified yeah. of it. I, there's still so much pressure and anxiety. 
depression uh, to, anxiety to be, i think is a huge thing yeah to to be good you don't want to feel like an idiot you don't want to I, i'm worried about even putting if, myself in danger and other people it feels like even if you are good just generally drivers just it's just the stigma isn't it it's the culture is drivers hate cyclists cyclists it, hate yeah. drivers the that the like, what, to i cars, don't understand yeah. i find it is so bizarre that people cannot figure out that the fact that just because you ride a bike doesn't mean you don't own a car <laughs> it's so silly and it's really annoying that the suggestion is that cars own the road as well and not just the bit of the road that they're allowed to drive on everything you know pavement parking things like that people that cut corners and drive onto the pavement but it's just a suggestion that all public spaces where you can drive belong to cars mm. and that's not true at all they should the road should belong to everyone shouldn't they you know they should mm. belong to uh, there was a sort of a suggestion that i heard the other day is that our our roads should be available and usable by an elderly woman riding the tricycle she's just done her shopping she's disabled and she's in a rush you know, which I yeah. thought is a really lovely way of putting it, isn't it? Is it that, you know, it should be for everyone, really. Yeah. yeah. Well, we don't live in the biggest country and our, a lot of our roads were built before, I guess, before cars were this big um, and we wanted to be able to cycle and walk and drive these huge, you know, trucks that people drive and, and buses and things like that and we've got bus lanes and stuff like that. So I get it. It's not the easiest in terms of infrastructure to put that in place but you know from someone who doesn't cycle so again for anyone listening not from experience but from someone who has observed it it often feels like the roads are for cars and the pavements are for pedestrians and then bicycles are kind of in this weird half zone where they're kind of on and off the pavement and they don't really belong and that's where it gets dangerous that's where in my mind I feel insecure about cycling because I just don't feel comfortable. I don't feel like there's, I'd have room or a place to. And it's not just, it's not just drivers either. You know, I'm not saying people walking around pose, you know, are, are purposely, you know, tripping bikes up or anything like that. But, you know, I walk around the city and there are pavements that are cut into two where, you know, cyclists uh, ride on one side and, and people walk on the other. But um, lots of people don't really look at that. And then you, you, you know, as someone who doesn't feel that confident cycling, um, you know, I see cyclists kind of manoeuvring in and out of pedestrians and uh, kind of having to come to a stop because someone's gone on the cycle lane. Castle and, Park's a particularly bad one. That's the yeah. perfect example of where pedestrians are. There's so many pedestrians, they're walking in the cycle lanes and it's just dangerous for everyone, basically, and everyone could get hurt. In that exactly. Sort of yeah. And for someone who's nervous about it anyway, it does just, you know, build up to putting you off, basically. One of the things about your piece as well was that it did include fixes, didn't it? Or yeah. what, you, you know, fixes to your fears. What are those then as well? Because that seems to be one of the things that people missed when reading the piece is mm. that it wasn't just you listing fears and saying why people shouldn't be cycling. You also had some, what you, you know, some solutions as you see it. Yeah. So before I wrote the piece, I'd been thinking about ways of getting over it. Because once, once you realise what your fears are and you, you, you're thinking about ways to get over them, and I think it was Grace, actually, and maybe even yourself, but a few people recommended a, a, an organisation called Life Cycle UK. And they actually do, like, adult cycling lessons. And I think they teach you to, like, go on the roads and they make you more confident. They'll even help you map out routes, you know, that you will likely cycle. So that for me, that would be to and from home and, and things like that, which will give you the safest route. I think Grace said they'll actually take you on that route before you do it alone 
So things like that are amazing. And that's definitely something I'm going to do because, you know, again, I don't like being scared of something like that. I generally don't fear those kind of things. Not, you know, I'm not afraid to put myself out there. So being afraid to cycle on the city really gets to me. So I, I really want to overcome it. Mm-hmm. Um, so so things like that and, and just, I guess, accepting that there are going to be people who call you names, accepting that you're not going to be the fastest going up a hill and that you should just stick with it. And I guess, you know, you will get used to it. I mean, other than just building up your own confidence on a bike and figuring out the safest way to get around on a bike for your safety and for others, I'm not really sure what else you can do. You know, eventually, hopefully some more will be done and over the years, more and more will be done to make routes safer for cyclists and pedestrians and cars. Things like segregated cycle lanes, is that the sort of thing you're thinking? Well, I'm thinking a lot of people have mentioned that. Um, cyclists and non-cyclists have mentioned segregated cycle lanes and, and things like that. You know, it, this isn't just about the safety of cyclists. It's about the safety of of drivers. I mean, I've, you know, I've been in a car where the drivers got really frustrated because we're on mm. a long stretch where they can't pass a bike safely because it's a narrow lane and you'd be putting yourself and that person in danger but it is frustrating for people and you but do understand my, it, it. But, like, but the thing is, is, is taught, this is taught you, you learn this when you drive yeah. like you, you learn this so clearly when you drive I don't understand I get, I get the segregated lanes and stuff I get all of that and I think they, they would be really useful to make it safer for everybody but what happened to patience what happened to the the whole thing that when I was learning to drive and there was a cyclist, hang back, give them space until you feel you can safely pass mm-hmm. with enough room. Like what what's wrong with that? Just because you're in a car doesn't suddenly mean that you have to be Nigel uh, Mansell. <laughs> <laughs> I would have gone, gone with Jeremy Clarkson. The only reason I stuttered then was because I was pretty sure that I was... It, in my head saying Marilyn Manson uh, I thought, <laughs> yeah. former leader of UK Nigel, um, Nigel, Manson. <laughs> Nigel Manson I agree with you I think but what come, happened to patients? it comes back to what you were saying about the culture around it you know it's accepted in the UK and in Britain. I don't know about other it's countries. It's accepted, but it's yeah. unacceptable. Yeah, well, I, also, it I always is. think if I see a person cycling, I think well, at least it's not a car I'm stuck behind. You know, because I drive as well, and I yeah. think I'm in a car, and you sort of there's a cyclist in front of you. You think, well, at least that's not another car that I'm stuck behind the traffic lights because you that's what traffic are in is. In the minority there, though, yeah. aren't you? <laughs> yeah, exactly. But that's what traffic is. Though traffic is yeah. more cars. But traffic's not thing, anyone like, walking, is it? I, 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 I'm a driver. I don't cycle, so. Have a go at me if you want, if you're listening and you think. But I think the biggest lesson that other drivers need to l- learn is to just slow down and be patient. Mm. Yeah. As a, as somebody that drives, and yeah, sure, it can be frustrating, but what does that mean? Oh, you don't get to ASDA for for an extra couple of minutes. Like, is as, that so bad? Yeah, it's the same concept of speeding. But I think it does come down to this accepted culture where we're accepting of the fact that drivers hate cyclists and cyclists hate drivers and it doesn't give you an excuse to be unnecessarily angry frustrated or yeah and you if, know it doesn't give you an excuse the to. argument i always see as well like especially on facebook it's always oh well the cyclist was in the wrong too doesn't matter or, as a driver it doesn't matter some what cyclist the cyclist was doing or cyclists always run red lights it's just which is what not you're true, doing yeah which is not true a minority of drivers break the rules a minority of cyclists also break the road rules as well 
but that doesn't then mean it's acceptable but to it doesn't, mistreat. It other shouldn't change how you drive we're just because just someone people. else is breaking the rules. We're all just trying to have a nice time. We're all just, yeah. people. We're all just trying to get. Everyone Let's just go chill. and have a cream tea. Everyone's yeah. getting chill frustrated. <laughs> <laughs> we're all just people trying to get around. At the end of the day, you know, I'm going to play the uh, the poor poor journalist card here. I can't afford to have a car in Bristol. Neither do is there any space where I live to park a car. My partner has enough trouble parking his car, which I don't drive, but I can't afford to have a car. I can't afford to keep a car. I just want to get around the city in the easiest, you know, cheapest, most, you know, I guess comfortable way. You know, cycling is one of those ways that would be really accessible for me. And I've cut myself off from it because of fears that I've built up only from a year of living in Bristol, you know. So they are real concerns. Mm. And, you know, you need drivers and cyclists need to realize that we're all just people trying to get along and get around the city in the best way we know how. And that, you know, we're not these, you know, you're not on opposing sides you know <laughs> no, no exactly bron thank you very much for joining us uh, i think you better get back to the office because people are raising the alarm about where you've been we've been in a studio for so long now so. <laughs> oh no the news won't get written if i'm not there yeah because i'm not there right now you're not there right now i don't know who's working <laughs> <laughs> all right thanks alex thanks bron Some of our articles always kick up a really interesting response. So it's really good of Bron to talk us through the reaction to one of her opinion pieces where she put herself at the forefront of the article. So thanks to her. Right, let's jump into our final piece this week with Robin Murray, beatbox extraordinaire, who is going to be talking about Bristol Harbour First. I'm Robin and I'm the entertainment reporter. So Robin, it's happening every weekend. There's always something kicking off in Bristol at the moment. And it? it's, it's pretty relentless, to be honest. I am absolutely knackered. But what's going on this weekend? So this week we have uh, Harbour Fest, which I'm sure a lot of our listeners will be well aware of. Um, and yeah, as you say, it comes on the back of St. Paul's Carnival and Pride. So it's the third massive event in Bristol in three weeks, which I think highlights just why it's such a, a great city to live in. Harbour Fest is a weird one as well, isn't it? Because it's one that everyone knows about. It always goes off. But I've never really known what the idea behind it was. It just seems to be another excuse to get down to the harbour side, doesn't it? And have loads of lovely stuff going on. I think that's a part of it, to be fair. I think it's, you know, our harbour side is such a lovely area. It's a great place to have a walk around or go to the pub or look at the boats they have down there. And I think Harbour Fest is just like an exaggerated version of that. So it's all about showcasing Bristol's really proud maritime history and um, connections. So, yeah, as you say, it's it's just a nice nice excuse to get down to the harbour side, enjoy a few drinks and um, see a lot of entertainment. What can we expect? What's going to be happening? Well, as ever, there's like a there's a huge programme of events going on, kicking off on the Friday night. And that's going to be kicked off with a big show on the harbour side amphitheatre with Jimmy Cliff. He's a scar and reggae legend. And then you've got Grandmaster Flash, who some people call the godfather of hip hop. And then there's Trojan Sound System. And that's on Friday evening. And that's going to be a, a really good event. On the Saturday, all the um, activity on the water kicks off. So there's going to be loads of really interesting boats coming down to look at. This year, Queen Square is going to be quite interesting. It's going to be home to loads of circus performances from Cirque Bijou, I think it's pronounced. So people are going to see, you know, tightrope walking, juggling, fire breathing, etc., etc. Loads of really fun things to to watch. And another thing this year that's going to be really, really great, I think, and it's the first time it's featuring at Harbour Festival, is the Power 8 Sprints. Um, and that's kind of world-class rowing right on our doorstep. So we're going to have Oxford and Cambridge coming down, I think Birmingham, maybe Sheffield, and then of course the Bristol team as well. So that's going to be some really great entertainment on the water and it'd be really good to see 
as many people as possible on the waterside cheering them on. Yeah, lots to look forward to. That's only a snippet, really. Um, and I suggest looking at our website to see the uh, the full rundown. And so there's a, a special guest as well, isn't there, that will be performing that could be a big hook for a lot of people that we are not allowed to reveal the name of. Is that the right? Yeah, that's that's correct. So Saturday evening, I think, kicking off from 9pm, going to be a really special performance from, um, as you say, someone who we from, cannot yet name. From Boop. <laughs> from beep yeah that's a rubbish beep yours, yours is a better beep but um yeah I, I just recommend being there fairly early on so that you, you can guarantee a space i think the capacity of the amphitheater where the special guest will be is around five thousand. so quite sizable but um at the same time you know you want to get there early to make sure you're there one of the highlights of harbour fest always seems to be not just the main events that you sort of mentioned there but also everywhere seems to do something doesn't it you know if it's near the harbour it's all kicking off are there going to be loads of after parties and things like that going on as well yeah so it really does take up a, a huge stretch of um land really all the way from underfall yard down at the harbour through to you know cascade steps in the city center and then you've got thecla where there's going to be live music going on you've also got queen square of course which i've mentioned where there's going to be circus performances all the way along the harbour it really does take up a huge, huge area of land. And the, the best thing for me is that most of the events are free. So, you know, as you say earlier, as you said earlier, you can just kind of bumble around with your friends, enjoying a few drinks, taking it all in. That's the thing that I really like about Bristol events is that they are so sprawling now, aren't they? That you can, even if you can't get into one bit or, you know, you're not really feeling one bit, there's always something else going on somewhere else, isn't there? I went down to uh, Bristol Pride on, uh, what day was I there? It must have been the Saturday. I was down there on Saturday and you sort of got there and the amphitheatre was one in, one out. And we're like, okay, so we can't really do that. But then we just kind of wandered around. There was, you know, food stalls and there was drinks and there was loads of stuff going on everywhere. And it's really nice about Bristol, isn't it? That whenever they put on an event, it's always covers the entire city, basically. And it's not just one small area. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we're so lucky in the fact that we've got so many brilliant spaces in which to hold events such as this. As you've mentioned, Pride was one example and before that, St. Paul's Carnival. And this time, I think, personally for me, the harbour side is probably my favourite area in Bristol. So that's why I love uh, Harbour Fest so much. Uh, and it also spans all the way up to College Green, I believe, as well. Although, um, again, one to check our, our website. Are you going to go? Are you covering it? Or are you going to be there enjoying yourself, uh, having a couple of beers? I'll certainly be there. I'm not sure what in which um, in what capacity at the moment, but um, I'll definitely be having a few drinks and, I guess, um, reporting back to the office if there's anything of note going on. But I'm really looking forward to catching the special guests as I know who it is and it's uh, it's bang up my street I'm just in the interest of balance I've never heard of them <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's true one, one but person's... they are they are famous I'm, I'm assured that they're well known yeah they, they are um, and uh, you know it's going to interest some people other people might not it would just be a great party, party atmosphere regardless of if you know who it is or not and on the, on the, on the theme of music um, another act worth catching is Harvey Corson who is an up-and-coming Bristol talent. He's had a few plays on Radio 1 recently and he's playing at the Thecla Dockside stage on Sunday afternoon, I believe, around five o'clock. In your role as a What's On reporter, you cover pretty much all of the events that are happening in Bristol, all sorts of scales as well, you know, from the smallest ones to some of the more massive, popular ones that everyone's heard of. Have you got a favourite? Ooh, tricky question. Tricky question. Um, this year was my first St Paul's Carnival um, and I really enjoyed it. I thought it kind of it kind of was what it said was on the tin, like a huge celebration of Afro-Caribbean culture. And it brought so many different cultures together and there was so much amazing music and it was just great fun kind of ambling around, seeing what there was um, to see. Um, Love Saves the Day is obviously a big one. Lineup's always incredible. This year was no different. Tokyo World as well, a nice way to round off the, the summer season that takes place in September. And this year's lineup is a big one as always. And yeah, I guess Harbour Fest, not just because it's this weekend, but 
I've been to it a few times now and it's just um, it's a great day out because of the location, I think. I love the harbour side and there's always so much to see. Matt, what about you? You've got a favourite event in Bristol? St. Paul's Carnival was the first time I'd been as well uh, this this year and it was mental. I'm ashamed to admit, but I've still never made it to St. Paul's Carnival. I was away the it, weekend it was on it, this year. So I it's insane go. for a number of reasons. I was confused the whole time why everyone was allowed on the streets like that. Because <laughs> it was crazy. You'd be, you'd be in a stickler for, I uh, was like, for public safety. How? 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 <laughs> this is just people's houses. How? He's selling burgers out the front of her house. I don't get it. And that was... Mental, mental. For me. but how do they sell burgers? <laughs> yeah, they had burgers. Have they even got a food hygiene rating? I don't know, but I'm sure it's all you know looked after. <laughs> <laughs> trust, but trust the authorities on this one. Everywhere you went, it didn't matter if you had no plan. It didn't matter if you had a plan. Whatever you did, wherever you went, it was it was incredible. Like it was incredible. Just mm. people hanging out, having fun, all being friendly. I was probably scared at first because I didn't know uh, or not scared maybe apprehensive just because I didn't know what to expect and I'd heard horror stories when you always hear horror stories about Notting Hill Carnival as well and people draw comparisons between the two don't they but I think people forget as well that so many people go to these carnivals that but there was none of it there was none of it it was just amazing it was just such a great day and it was such a great celebration Mm. and uh, I got thoroughly drunk (laughs) As you should at such an event. <laughs> I think that's the key to these things. And that, isn't I it? think that was my, my favourite. So, Robin, saw you limp into the studio. I hear you've been involved in some sort of drama. What has happened? Yes, uh, sadly so. I managed to pull my hamstring on my lunch break today. Uh, my left hamstring, in case you're wondering. Uh, I'm not sure if are I listen. Are you left footed or right footed? Because I know you're a big football. You're well, big football technically fan, I'm both footed, but that sounds like I'm playing my own trumpet. But um, you know, I've been banging <laughs> it. I've been really banging, good at walking. <laughs> I'm really good at walking. You can curl it in. But from uh, side, yeah. you know, I've been banging in the goals for the Bristol Post six aside team. Although we did lose again last night, seven six. Who did we lose shame. against? They were they were called one of those classic six side team names, which were so monotonous that I've forgotten. You know, I've heard it a million times before. I'm not sure if I, any of our listeners have the same problem. But I'm quite a competitive person. And sometimes when I'm walking, I don't like walking slowly. And if there's someone in front of me who is walking ever so slightly quicker than I am, I have to beat them. <laughs> so, <laughs> You're a foot racer. They're pretty much, yeah. So, so they're what's in I'll, a competition that they're not aware of. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Um, so I'll, what I'll do is I'll pick a, like a, a landmark in the distance, whether it's a, a lamppost or a, a street sign. Today it happened to be a bin. So I was walking up back to the office after my sandwich and this chap in a suit was, you know, around 10 metres ahead of me. And I thought, right, he's he's getting beaten. So <laughs> so I really put on a pace. And um, it was probably one of the, the, the closest finishes I've had in a week, really, in my, in my, <laughs> in my races. You, but you, lunged, you had to lunge at the I, line Well, this one. is the thing. It was a bit, of a bit of a lunge at the end, hence why I managed to ever so slightly tweak my hammy. Um, <laughs> and uh, I think, I think the, the poor chap may have suspected that I was racing him when I kind of pulled up panting next to him next to the bin um so yeah if any of our listeners have either that or he thought why is this guy panting at the bin? <laughs> well that is true yeah he, he may have thought that either way i won um <laughs> and that at the end of the day is the most important thing i think you'll agree do you do you celebrate when you get there 
because obviously you want to acknowledge that you've won, but also you you might not necessarily want them to know that. Well, you've, this you've this racing. is the this is the problem you see, Alex. It's a it's a real problem you I face every in, day. You didn't come in two hands up, so like <laughs> kind of you know Djokovic style. It's, <laughs> it's like it's kind of like a mental pat on the back, I guess. Just a well done. You you really can walk quickly if you if you want to. Well, well done. You you have no personal issues to worry about. <laughs> yeah. yeah, nothing going on my head whatsoever. Little just, victories, just little victories. Little victories. Um, Emotionally sound. Emotionally and a very very sad man. <laughs> um, um, I mean, I will admit, I have done that before. Uh, what race people? Like, like you, yeah, picking out a thing and going, oh, I'm, I'll get there before I'm gonna, them. I'm yeah. gonna do this one. I think it's quite a common thing, but I, I, I usually just had do the... it when I'm in a rush for somewhere and I'm trying to keep the pace up. And oh, like, so you're just like comparing your I, pace to that. Yeah, pace, it's like so. a method of yeah, walking quickly. And you know, I'm, I've just had the guts to come out today in public, and you know. Maybe there are others out yeah, there who, so to be honest, who walk talk quickly. About it. It's not being spoken about. Exactly. It's one of the it big to-dos. To in this uh, to a lot of people. If this turns out it's a mass phenomenon and all of a sudden people listen to this podcast and they think, all of wow. a sudden people listen to the podcast. <laughs> There's going to be loads of people all in of town walking quickly. <laughs> the people already listening to the podcast, all, all of a sudden. Of a sudden. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe we should put this in the headline of this podcast episode. So anyone that does this will be like, oh, oh, is he talking about it? Yeah. yeah. It's a bit taboo, isn't it? It is a bit taboo, yeah. Bit Racing taboo. strangers. <laughs> Breaking new It's a good band name, actually. Racing, Racing strangers, strangers, yeah. It is. Um, the other thing I want to ask you about, Robin, is... You've won the Bristol Live World Cup Fantasy Football League. Yes, I'm, I have. I'm sure you're aware of this. Oh, I'm very much aware. <laughs> by, really... by a decent margin, I think, as well. No, well, I, in fact, I must correct you there, because I only beat Emma, Emma Grimshaw by two points. Oh, is it? Which, yeah, two points? Yeah, so it was, a, again, like my race today, it was a photo finish. Yeah, so what was your secret? That's what I want to know. Again, being a sad man, who dedicates far, much, far too much time. curating your team. <laughs> yeah, looking at blogs, looking at who's going to do well. Although, annoyingly, I've got a, a bone to pick with you and everyone else in the office, because <laughs> when I set the league up, people will know that I introduced the £5 entry fee. I did it in the incorrect it's, way. This is I, very, it's a very suspect situation, the way that you introduced <laughs> the £5 fee. Yes, yeah, no. I should have put it in the first email, but instead I put it in the second one. Lo and behold, I've won. So I technically should be sat here with, you know... 50, 60 quid, maybe more, but I'm not. Just to clarify this, we were sent an email. Robin had organised this lovely, you know, fantasy football league thing and said, everyone get signed up, we'll have a team going, it'll be good. And then loads of people signed up. <laughs> and then about five minutes later, we received another email and said, right now, if you just want to come and drop five pound on my desk <laughs> and we'll uh, sort out, and I think you said, and we'll div- we'll sort out how we divvy out the money later. Yeah. And that was, I think, it was not well it, No, well, it wasn't. Well, even if you do have winnings, are you going to donate it to charity like like the England team? Probably going to spend it on a doctor's to get my hamstring fixed. Yeah. Spend it on gonna a doctor's. Get <laughs> <laughs> I'm going, going private. private. Yeah. <laughs> my hammy, my hammy's important. I was quite pleased with my fantasy team. I did all right in the end. But yeah, I would have donated it to charity. Some of it. Had you won anything. I See, that's what anything. makes this seem even more suspect, is that you tried to get a fire with everyone, and then you've eventually won. So it mm. does look a it little does bit look fishy. Wings. And I am a fraudulent man. No, I'm not. I'm not, for the record. But I am annoyed that I didn't put it in the first email because I could be sat you here could with be rake it. Yeah, you could a new pair it. of headphones or sunglasses or you know, whatever. New hamstring. New hamstring. Mm. Yeah. I, I was quite pleased with my fantasy team. I did all right. Bearing in mind, no idea about football at all. Don't mm-hmm. follow it. Don't have a clue. I was literally picking names that I knew. Like I picked Vincent Company because I'd heard the name before. 
He wasn't that good. And he was injured. Oh, he, he was all right. He was all right. He didn't play that much. Yeah. But I came sixth out of however many it was. Like 12, I think it was 20, I think. Tw- was it 20? Yeah, there's it? quite a few. Well, quite maybe 18. But... Granted, quite a few people stopped updating their teams. <laughs> and I case, was sort yeah. of right on that cusp between people that were updating their teams <laughs> and people that weren't. Still, though. Do you know how I, how I tackled the whole thing? You didn't, didn't do it. I just didn't participate. <laughs> <laughs> well, I won't be taking a final tell you what, guys. Because you're I, not a team player. I was stress-free the whole time. Yeah, to be fair, those deadlines for transfers were really starting to get to me. It does it does kind of induce a lot of um, anxiety and stress, yeah. which I think leads to the the walking problem I have. Uh, yeah. you need it's to all win everything. linked. It's you all linked. To I need to win everything: walking, football, anything. Well, in your defence, in your to your credit, you are winning everything. You won today's walk. You also have won the football. Well, you know what next? The world. <sighs> Who knows? Win world beatboxing championships. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you can give us some more if you want. No, I can't do it. There's, <laughs> there's too much stress. There's too much. Next time, the anxiety off. is through the roof. <laughs> we, need, we need to turn it into a competition, and then you'll be straight in. Oh yeah, first one to beatbox to the bin. <laughs> <laughs> right, Robin. Thanks very much. Thank I you very much. I will see you at Harbour Fest. You shall indeed. I'm really looking forward to Harbour Fest this weekend. So thanks to Robin for talking us through what it's all about. Right, that brings this week's show to an end. Thank you very much for listening. Don't forget, you can follow us on Twitter at IBR Podcast. You can rate, review and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts from. Just search Inside Bristol Live. So thanks very much, guys. And tune in next week when my colleague Bron will be taking the reins of the show while I'm away. See you soon. Bye. Bye.